Heavenly Father, teach us to love in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are almost at the end of Advent. Four candles lit, just a week to go. By the way, just to give you a fair warning, next year we won't have a week. In fact, we're going to light the fourth candle at our 8.15 a.m. service, and then uh, nine hours later we're going to start our first Christmas Eve service. I can't wait. That was me dripping with sarcasm. Uh, Do you know how we came up with December 25th as Christmas? It's actually a pretty convoluted story. See, there is no birth certificate or hospital record. The Bible just says in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered, and the first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Now, Caesar Augustus reigned from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D., That narrows it down a little. Quirinius held various positions in Syria beginning in 12 B.C. until his death in 21 A.D. Now, none of that helps to really get it down. However, King Herod, King Herod died in 3 to 4 B.C., which helps with the year of Jesus' birth. But it still doesn't give us the month or the day. For that, we got to jump forward 360 years. When the emperor Constantine became a Christian, he sent his mom along with a very large army to the Holy Land in order to find all of the places associated with Jesus and the Gospels and to bring back some relics. Now, he declared December 25th as the day of Jesus' birth, which also happened to be the day the Romans, whom he was the emperor of, celebrated uh, Saul Invictus, uh, the unconquerable son. Now, a hundred years before that, though, a monk named Sextus Julius Africanus decided the day the angel visited Mary was March 25th. He then added nine months and said, obviously, if the angel came on March 25th, then Jesus was born on December 25th. Now, it needs to be said the Orthodox Church rejects December 25th, and it holds, well, January 6th, the the day that we celebrate the coming of the wise men as uh, their real Christmas. As you can see, it's all very confusing not very scientific or documented, which is why in those days uh, from our text in Luke and Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, tell me everything that I need to know. The exact year, day, and hour don't matter as much as the fact that God sent his son to be our savior because he knew that heaven wouldn't be the same without us. Now, even if you don't believe in Jesus and never went to a church that does Advent, if the day after Thanksgiving you locked yourself in your home, uh, properly decorated, of course, with lights, a tree, stockings, and tons of baked cookies, especially my favorite, those, you know, chocolate-covered peanut butter balls, and covered all the windows so you couldn't see what was happening outside and shut off the Internet and the TV with the exception of the Hallmark Christmas movies and all the Christmas music, um, you would still know the reality of Advent. See, while we claim Advent is only four weeks long, the truth is we have been living in the season of Advent since Adam and Eve moved out of the Garden of Eden. It's inescapable. The nine months before Jesus' birth saw the emperors of the world waging war and taking a census so that they could recruit more armies and raise taxes. The church was busy shunning people and shaming people like Elizabeth because she didn't have any children, and also shaming people like Mary because they thought she didn't follow their rules about having children. Society forced Joseph to think about divorcing his fiancée quietly because, well, he uh, didn't want to damage his family's reputation. Even a faithful priest like Zechariah doubted that God would do what God had promised to do. Innkeepers, all about the money. The church was too busy to go look for the Messiah, even though they knew where he was going to be born. And a king would kill off an entire generation of boys in a region 
so that he could try to hold on to his throne. You know, if I change the dates on the front page of the Bethlehem Star Advertiser from 4 BC to 2022 AD, nobody would know the difference because, to be honest, the stories haven't changed, just the names. A few weeks ago, we were introduced to John the Baptizer, whose job was to prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him, which included filling in potholes, raising valleys, and lowering mountains. Now, if you wonder what that has to do with Christmas, it's pretty simple. John's mission is to remove any and all barriers so everyone, no matter who they are, no matter where they're at, no matter what's going on in their life, no matter what their past is, no matter who their parents are, that all of them can get to the baby Jesus. Now, you and me, we have the same calling. And I want you to know, we aren't responsible for what happens after they get to the baby Jesus. We just to make sure that the path is as clear and straight as we can make it so that they can get to him. That's not an easy job. It wasn't for John, and it's not for us. Last week at Workday, David and I were up filling the cracks in the parking lot. I swear I heard the parking lot laughing at us because every time we filled a crack, another one opened up behind us. It was kind of like whack-a-mole. The cracks in this world and people's lives, though, can't be patched with asphalt filler. They need grace and faith and hope and love and forgiveness. Satan is always trying to tear us apart, and it always starts with a tiny little crack that just keeps growing unless we fill it with forgiveness and love and hope. Now, Jesus knows exactly who all the people who need him are and where they are and what they need, but he isn't going to tackle them, hogtie them, and then either tickle them or yell at them until they agree to follow him. Now, following Jesus is all about the heart and the soul. When John started his work of straightening things, he was hanging out at the Jordan River. Now, this is a place where everybody came for different reasons, uh, to water their animals, to do their laundry, to take a bath, maybe even a beach day. Can you imagine what the water used to look like? When he started preaching, his message was very focused. He pointed to all the upside-down things in the world and in people's lives, and he asked him a simple question. Do you believe God knows who you are and what you're going through? and that has the ability to keep his promise to save you? I'm going to ask you the same question today. You know all the upside-down stuff in your world and all the upside-down stuff in your life. Do you believe God knows who you are, that he knows what you're going through, and that he has the ability to send you the Savior that he promised you? And by the way, if you're still struggling with what all that means, it's okay. You don't have to have your life all perfectly wrapped up with a beautiful bow on top before you get to follow Jesus. Uh, that's kind of the whole purpose of Christmas. And I want you to notice, you see, Jesus gets born in a stable. Yeah, and, and it was smelly, and it was dirty, and he was surrounded by animals. You see, God's okay with your life being a little messy. That's what he came to help fix. Now, the reason we've watered Christmas down so much is because Jesus isn't the Savior that most people are hoping for. It, most people don't change until they have to, and even then they do it reluctantly and not without a lot of complaining. Most people want instant results, and most people also don't want it to cost anything. And by the way, I can say all this because I am most people. Count all the times in the gospel when people ask Jesus, are you sure you're the one who, well, we've been waiting for because... Um, they kind of thought God was a genie in a bottle, and just like that, he would fix everything the way they wanted it fixed, and, and it would happen instantly. And, and Jesus was just taking way too long to fix the world. 
You know, Warren Buffett said, someone is sitting in the shade today because someone a long time ago planted a tree. I both love and hate fortune cookie wisdom. It is so memorable and perfect and witty, but it's also truthful and unhelpful. You see, I want shade now. I don't want to have to wait until the tree grows up. And since I don't have the patience I need or the foresight to plant something a long time ago that I was going to need today, I want it to be somebody else's job to know I needed a tree. And it should be right here. And it should be planted in such a way that that today I just step underneath it and the shade is where I want it. That's how most people see Christmas. They spend 11 months living any way they want and then expect everything to be fixed and perfect in the four or so weeks before Christmas. Hope and love and joy are just supposed to magically appear by eating cookies or singing carols or buying presents. Charlie Brown asks, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? John the Baptizer had a different approach to getting people ready for Christmas. He told them they needed to repent. That's not a word people like to hear, especially around Christmas. That little word repent was the whole reason for the Reformation, but for a totally different reason, but actually a reason that helps explain Christmas. You see, when the Greek New Testament was getting translated into Latin in 382, it took until a little bit later, St. Jerome mistranslated the Greek word metanoia as do penance instead of repent. Now, the word means change your heart, which will lead to you doing something, not you doing something in hopes of changing your heart. Do you see the difference? When was the last time somebody gave you a bath? Now, if someone tries to rub a smudge off your forehead or your cheek, you probably pull back. We can wash ourselves, thank you. The gospel has John the baptizer standing in the Jordan River telling people if they really want to be ready to meet Jesus, he needs to give them a bath. Whether he dunked them or splashed them, we won't know until we get to heaven. But, but I want you to think about how strange this is. You see, if a pastor, you know, baptizes a baby, that makes total sense because uh, babies can't, well, they can't take care of themselves. But when an adult gets baptized, I mean, it's because, again, they can't do it for themselves, which is very, very hard for most of us adults to to comprehend because we want to think that there's nothing we can't do. We We need to take a deep breath before we go any further. You see, when John says we need to repent... It's not about making us feel bad or or making us feel guilty. It's not about making us do things that we don't want to do. We may have those feelings, but if we do, it's because we broke something, a relationship, a friendship, a promise, a commandment, and it hurts. And by the way, it should hurt. That's God saying we have a chance to try to make things right. When we break something, we have two choices, hold on or let go. We can either hold on to our pride, our independence, our self-righteousness, and our ego, or we can let go of those things. That's the need for the deep breath. Repentance is about freedom and being changed for the better, about surrendering things that are harmful and hurtful and destructive. And surrender isn't active. It's passive. It's not about us doing something. It's just the opposite. It's about us stopping our fight. We simply are still and let God be God. All those people who came to the Jordan River, soldiers with a guilty conscience, tax collectors who had cheated almost everyone, greedy bankers, those with mental health issues, parents who were not good parents, 
children who were prodigals, government officials who had cheated everyone, church leaders who manipulated people, liars, addicts, haters. They all came, bowed their head, and let John cover them with dirty water so they could receive the forgiveness of sins they so desperately needed. And the key here is, the Jordan is really a dirty river. There is amazing symbolism when one takes a bath in dirty water in order to be made clean. To be people of Advent is to look for opportunities to lay down our junk and our pain and our anger and our snarkiness and let God love us. And this repentance, this changing of our heart, isn't about us doing anything or or proving anything except that we don't have what it takes for us to be who we need us to be. We don't have what it takes for our family, our community, to be who we need to be for them. And we certainly don't have what we need to be for our God. Notice how calm and simple Matthew starts off. This is how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, came about. And then he talks about an unwed pregnant teenager whose fiancé is considering divorcing her. An old woman who had been barren but was now pregnant. Imagine the surprise there. And her husband, who is having serious doubts about being a father. An evil king, a village who lost all their baby boys in one night because of that evil king. Uncaring priests and pastors, a world lost in itself in the darkness. Dirty, stinky shepherds who show up and want to hold the baby. Strangers from far away who bring some rather peculiar gifts and don't even bother to stay for dinner before they head home. God wants to be known. And God wants us to know him. He also gets how hard it is for us to get to know him because this world has done a pretty good job of getting rid of him. This is where Colossians chapter 1 comes in. Oh, not just the part that says God created everything, but, but the part that says that it is in God that all things are held together. When we don't let God hold everything together, things start to fly apart. And by the way, it's not just things. It, it, that includes us. And too often we hold on to anything and everything except God, and we start to fly apart. Once a year, we stand in our homes and offices and on street corners and in front of TVs and computers, begging for peace and hope and joy and all those other Christmas card platitudes. But our hands are full of things that we just can't let go of. Pain, hurt, anger, jealousy, lust, entitlement. And by the way, you can't hold on to Jesus if you're holding on to all those other things. And God understands this. And by the way, instead of seeing all the things that we're holding tightly to, He chooses to see us. Instead of yelling and screaming and punishing us for not taking Christmas, the real Christmas, seriously, he makes a way by straightening roads, filling in potholes, raising valleys, lowering mountains. He makes it as easy and as simple as possible for us to get to Jesus. A baby in a manger, God in the flesh. And Jesus, our Emmanuel, or God with us, reaches out with both hands to hold and to love and to forgive us. Here's the crazy thing. If angels and shepherds and wise men and God becoming flesh isn't crazy enough, God knows as he holds on to us, as we feel his love and forgiveness flowing over us, our our fingers begin to open and we start to let go of all those things that we were holding tightly to. You know, those things that we thought were so important a few weeks ago. Remember the quote I used a few sermons back? Hold everything in your hands lightly, otherwise it hurts when God pries your fingers open. That was Corey Ten Boom. You know, God doesn't want to pry our fingers open. And so God holds us. And our fingers relax. And we begin to let go of everything except Him.
It's not easy. It takes a whole lifetime. But that's the thing about a God who doesn't think heaven isn't going to be the same without us. He will do whatever it takes as long as he needs to because that's love. Advent points to all the upside-down things in the world and in your life and in mine. And God asks a simple question. Do you believe he knows who you are and what you're going through and that he has the ability to keep his promise and send you a Savior? St. Matthew says, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you confess your faith with me in the words of the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.